It's the heart, though. It's the heart. The heart matters to the Lord. Where's our hearts? Do we know what we're doing? Do we understand the importance of what's before us? Let us offer to God acceptable worship. God cares about this so much. What kind of worship? It goes on. Reverence and awe. Hi, and welcome back to Live in the Light. I'm your host, Craig Turnbull, and joining me is our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons. We're thankful that you've joined us in the middle of our series, looking particularly at a great Old Testament character, David. And we're seeing, as we look at David's life, a lot of things we can take into our lives. God's speaking to us strongly through this series. And today's message, Robbie, is on worship. And when I think of worship, that seems to me a word that many, many people Uh, Well, they get confused on. Yeah, it's something that's thrown around all the time. In fact, it can lose a lot of its meaning. The text I really appreciate today as we dig into 2 Samuel 6 and as David seeks to return the ark or bring the ark to Jerusalem, it's it's very um, impactful for us because I find in our day, I mean, there's such a form of presumptuous worship. We just come to the Lord without really thinking about what we're doing and we focus on things that may not even matter to God. And so we're learning about what is the difference between a worship of pragmatism what is the difference between a worship that is presumptuous from our hearts? We're presuming upon God. And then what is a worship that actually is pure before the Lord? And David had to go through all three processes to figure out where he needed to be. So this is a word needed for the church today. It really, it really is. Because the whole worship world and all this stuff that goes on can be so fluff. But we're praying God would center us in, teach us, and grow us in worship. And may our churches be much of the same. All right, well, we're praying for that purified worship, as Robbie said. More to come on that. And we're praying that with that purified worship, there be a renewed joy in your lives today. Let's get our Bibles open again and go to our passage today, 2 Samuel chapter 6. And here again is Pastor Robbie with today's message, The Heart of Worship. Convenience. It's not, it's not convenient for me. And then we go along. There's no holy and acceptable. There's no sacrifice. It's not worship. It's pragmatism. It's a worship of the church in our day riddled with this, forfeiting the fear of God and the blessing of God and entering into the will of man. Here's the second caution I want you to see. Be careful of a worship of carelessness. Was the cart quicker for David? Was it quicker? Yep. Yep, it was. Loved ones, be very careful of expediting your worship before the Lord. We live in a day of the sermonette, don't we? How many churches, man, a sermon, 18 minutes long, gotta make sure that people get special land time. Gotta make sure that happens, man. Gotta end the service, can't go longer than 60 minutes. No way, gotta be about them. I'm just, 17 minutes, man, that's my introduction. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? How can you faithfully handle the word of God and start to unpack the glory and the mystery of what's in here and do that in a handful of minutes? Who's really being helped by that? Now, I'm not into hour-long sermons, but hear what I'm saying here. What are we actually trying to do? I mean, okay, this is a dangerous thing to say, whatever, too, right? But the, but the carelessness of our day, the way that we approach church, the way that we approach the worship of our God, 
strolling in late, leaving early, barely making it. I just, again, I'm, 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 I'm hesitant to even bring up examples because of the legalism that can set. It's the heart, though. It's the heart. The heart matters to the Lord. Where's our hearts? Do we know what we're doing? Do we understand the importance of what's before us? Sometimes things in the church have gotten so casual that it can nothing other than flat out sinful irreverence. People sitting in church, man, shoving popcorn in their face, coffee all over the place, texting their friends in the middle of worship. Watch your heart. You know what I'm talking about too, man. You see these arenas and you're, you have this song on the screen, you're looking around the people and just like, what in the world are we doing right now? What is this? Hebrews 12 has something to say about this too. Hebrews 12 says this, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, what is the kingdom? I mean, it's the gospel. If we belong to Christ, the kingdom of the world is done. All the governments, they're all going, man. They're not lasting. They will be, but the kingdom of God will not be shaken. So therefore, because we've been saved in Christ, thus, here's the implication. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. God cares about this so much. What kind of worship? It goes on, reverence and awe. Let's church over What? What is going on? Are we before holy God or are we all about ourselves? Man, I hope this thing. Reverence and our wife, for our God is a consuming fire. That's not funny. It's what we're called to do. It's called to be. Be very careful of pragmatism entering into your worship of a careless, casual approach to the holy God of the universe where we will have to give an account for everything we've said and done. And then thirdly, look at this, be careful of a worship of compromise. So David had right intentions, I believe, but he simply had wrong practice. He went against what God's word so clearly said for him. And you think of the capitulation to culture in our day. So many people tempted to really rip out pages of God's word, to gloss over, to ignore, to fiddle with, to change because the culture doesn't like it. It's compromising God's word when God has so clearly said. Magazine a couple of years ago, a well-known preacher, he was venting and loathing uh, long sermons. January 1st was coming, so he said he resolved to do better in the coming year. Quote, he says this, that means wasting less time listening to long sermons and spending more time preparing short ones. But then he says this, quote, people I've discovered will forgive even poor theology as long as they get out before noon. What is that? What is that? That's pathetic is what that is. You hear what he's saying? Basically, I can lead people away from Jesus Christ, but they'll forgive me as long as they get out in time to have the lunch that they desire because they're more concerned with the physical nourishment than they are for the nourishment of their soul, which saves them from hell and leads into eternal life in Jesus Christ. Really? This is what it's come down to? No wonder the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That statement I just read to you right there, that is a complete absence of the fear of the Lord. And so a lack of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of foolishness. And you lose the fear of the Lord and you end wisdom. This is why it's one of the greatest needs of our day right now, the fear of the Lord. Because of the fear of the Lord, we have no wisdom. And wow, do we need wisdom. 
the Lord works among those who desire to worship him with a heart that is real and pure. Be very careful of pragmatic worship in your life. And David was gonna learn the lesson the very hard way. It takes us to point number two, which is this. Now we see this, a presumptuous worship. Now be warned. A presumptuous worship. Be warned. Look at verse five now. In verse five, it says this, and David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. So seemingly everything's going great, man. They're dancing, they're celebrating. Here comes the ark. Who wasn't celebrating? God wasn't celebrating. Verse six, and when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God, took hold of it. Why? Because the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Notice here, notice in verse five, uh, the worship began with joy and celebration, but it's presumptuous. In verse 10, the mood turns to despair, anger, and death. The error of David's pragmatism in verses one to four led to a fatal presumption in verses five to seven. Notice that they're transporting the ark on a cart. The oxen stumble. Loved ones, by the way, the oxen stumble according to the sovereignty of God. God would have caused the oxen to stumble according to his will, that he may accomplish his purposes that results in his glory. And as the oxen stumble, the cart's about to fall off. Uzzah reaches out. He should know better. He's not a Levite. You cannot place your hand. He reaches out seemingly innocently to steady the ark. And the moment he places his hand upon that, which is never to be touched, he instantly falls down dead. Again, number four, numbers four says, if anyone touches the ark, surely they will die. Now the accusation against God from this text comes quickly. People read this text and say, what kind of God is this? How could he do this? Listen, the accusation that should come more quickly from this text is against David. If David did what he was supposed to do and he knew what to do, this never ever would have happened. He knew, but he didn't. Do you know how many people are gonna stand before God in some form of judgment, some form one or another in judgment? And they will stand before God and find out what's demanded of them and they will plead ignorance. I did not know, I did not know, I did not know. And God will say, I wrote a book. I wrote a book giving you everything you ever needed to know about salvation and how to follow me with a heart of purity. I didn't know, I didn't know. And he's like, no, you did know, you just didn't too lazy, too lustful, too idolatrous, too preoccupied with the world, just flat out don't love God, did not care, had no time. And that moment will come. I didn't know, I didn't know. You say, yes, yes, you did know. I wrote a book called The Word of God and it was in plentiful supply for you to understand what my will is for your life. It's a warning. I'm not sure who's here today, but God knows exactly who's here today. And the understanding even being here today, the opportunity of grace, the opportunity of forgiveness, the opportunity of love, but the accountability also to understand what this life is really about. Interesting. 
So David, what he did, he presumed that he could go outside the boundaries of God and that because his heart desired maybe a right thing, that God would turn a blind eye, David would be horribly mistaken. You know, one of the things that happens here, we read kind of 2 Samuel 6, and we're like, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. But then we're challenged with a very, very similar incident that happens in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter five with Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit about the money they received for the property they sold. And they come and Peter says, did you sell for such and such an amount? And they said, yes. And instantly Ananias is struck dead. And then his wife comes in three hours later and she lies too and she is also struck dead. And the problem we have now, well, wait, this is the new covenant, not the old. This is the early church. This is in the nation of Israel before Christ came. And God is still sending messages on how seriously he takes sin. Furthermore, in 1 Corinthians 11, age of grace, new covenant, Paul's saying, some of you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and treated it with contempt. And he says, that's why some of you have gotten sick and even some have died. You don't believe me? Just look at 1 Corinthians 11. You can read it for yourself. It's there. New covenant, age of grace, New Testament church. What's that saying? There is a form of our day that we don't fully understand that apparently God operates in fatal presumption of worship because he cares so much about his holiness and he cares so much the glory that he receives and his servants, his people honor him in the way that he deserves because he has set them free from their sin and saved them from death and wrath and eternal anger of God. Jesus Christ took it all and the love that he has given to us, now we love him in return. So what's the Holy Spirit doing here? Providing a warning against presumptuous worship. What what scares me is the person here right now whose life is filled with pornography, like filled up to the brim with lustful, sensual activities. And you're in here and frankly, you just don't care. And you're in here pretending to worship God in some form and that you can just play this game and you're just going along and there's a form of presumptuous worship. I'm telling you, son, Father, man, be very, very careful. God is not to be trifled with. And you start pretending that you're someone and doing this and singing songs and praying, taking up the Lord's Supper. Do I mean, just, and just, and yet, and yet, I'm not talking about the person who's contrite and broken asking for forgiveness. I'm talking about the person who really doesn't care. And there is no brokenness. It's a hardness of heart, but you're just playing a game and pretending to be something that you know that you're not. How about the person here right now whose life is filled with sexual sin, fornication, out there and just doing terrible things. And we come in here and again, just act the part, do the worship thing, and yet your life is completely double-minded and you're living two lives. The person here right now, life filled with dishonesty and greed, shady financial practices, ripping people off, at business, corruption, cheating this and that. And yet you're going, eh. come in here and just be like, don't care. God cares, especially when you start to use his name on any level upon your life. How about the spiritual leader who's one person here and then another person elsewhere? That's not a game you wanna play. That's not a game I wanna play. The Lord cares about these things so much because what happens is we are presumptuous in our approach to God and willfully sinning against him. Be sure your sin will find you out. Because the Lord needs glory from his church. 
And look what happened in verse nine now. In verse nine, it says, and, and David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Now there's two types of fear happening here within David. There's an unhealthy fear. He's generally afraid of God, but there's a healthy fear. There's a tremendous reverence and a fear of the Lord, which the Bible talks about in such virtue. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And this is where this is good in our lives. We are struck with a, a picture and a glimpse of the glory of God. Loved ones, I, I implore you to pursue your life, to be filled with the fear of the Lord. Sometimes God will bring um, incidents in our lives that puts us on our face, but other times the Lord invites us to pursue him, to stop looking at ourselves and to look up at the glory. A couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to be filled with the fear of the Lord by looking at stars. But specifically, my wife, Jill, her uncle, who's basically a genius in science and also astronomy. And he was doing a star show for us up north at a cottage. And we were on this deck and about 15 to 20 family members gathered. And he's the guy, he knows like, I could maybe point at the Big Dipper, but that's it. You know what I'm saying? But he knows where everything is. One of these nights, there's no clouds and just there's no city lights. And you're just looking up and you're like, oh. and the stars are everywhere. And he's like, hey, watch this, watch this, ready? Look through the telescope, his big telescope he brought, very expensive. He's like, look through this and see Jupiter. And you're looking through and you're kind of seeing Jupiter. Wow. It's amazing. Our solar system is awesome. He's like, yeah, hey, there's more, there's more. He's like, look now, here's Saturn. And you look through the telescope and there's, you could see the rings perfectly around Saturn, all thousands of miles away, whatever it is. And you're like, oh, it's amazing. We're all kind of lined up like 12 deep down, men, women, children, all waiting our turn, waiting our turn to kind of look in, you know? And we're looking in. He's like, oh, tonight's a special night. Now I want you to see um, um, Antares, that, that huge mega star that is so massive. It makes our sun look like a pinprick, you know? And we're looking at that and I'm like, oh, that's awesome because I've talked about that before, but he's like, oh man, it's a special night. Look at this now. I'm going to show you a cluster of stars and this cluster of stars, as you look at it, is so beautiful to look at. Represents 400,000 stars and you're just like, oh, you know, your brain's like, you know, you're kind of looking at this and, and then he's like, but here's a very, very special night. Tonight's a very special night. Tonight, just the way that's all arranged, I have no idea how it works. He does. You can actually see through the telescope the ability to get a glimpse into a galaxy beyond our own and the galaxy beyond our own you're looking through and you're catching a glimpse of this and he says that is 25 I believe this is right 25 million light years away how far is that Uncle Doug? far okay <laughs> 25 million and he says this so he goes that light started 25 million light years ago and is now just reaching us now again all oh, my brain hurts and you're looking all this and you're seeing all this and what happens am i feeling big or small oh i start to feel very 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 small because in that moment you're seeing the vastness and the beauty and the grandeur and the infinite nature of our universe that our god has appointed every single star in its place and named them and the wonder and how massive and our Lord sitting on the throne governing over all of this and here I am this tiny insignificant finite human being that so often believes this life is about me but then my eyes come off myself and look up to the stars and I see the glory and the wonder and the beauty and the majesty of how great and awesome my God is and my life begins to be filled with the fear of the Lord which is the fountain of life and my heart is prepared now to worship in a way that otherwise it was not. This is the opportunity. This is what we're called to live. 
This is who we are created for something so much more than ourselves. I love what John Piper says. John Piper says, no one goes to the Grand Canyon to improve their self-esteem. <laughs> but you get it? You don't go there and stare at the wonder and be like, I'm awesome. You go there and you stare and you're like, this is awesome. Who? God is awesome. That's why thousands go all the time to Niagara Falls. We're longing to live for something beyond this. Because this is bleh. But in Jesus Christ, oh, everything starts to open up. And you see, you see our presumptuous worship. It's got to be thrown in the garbage. And then the fear of the Lord begins to replace. And when we have the fear of the Lord, then what happens? Then purity starts to enter in. The purity of worship starts to feed our souls. And this is our third and final point. It's this. Now we see a worship of purity. Be blessed now, loved ones. Be blessed. Look at verse 11. Notice what happens here. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Giddite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Can you notice this now? Notice this. The moment obedience starts taking place, the blessing of God is found. The moment God's ways are observed is the moment the blessing of God falls upon his people. Notice this too. The moment David sees and hears about the blessing of Obed-Edom's house, he is filled with the holy jealousy for the same. Why? Because he's a man after God's own heart. He makes mistakes, but one of the best things David does, he recovers so well. And he starts to get his life in purity before the Lord to do it now God's way that he might also know God's blessing. Warren Wiersbe sums up this kind of whole passage in some ways brilliantly with this. He says this, this is, this is very important. God's work must be done in God's way if it is to have God's blessing. God's true blessing. Kind of summarizes our whole text. God's work must be done in God's way if it is to have God's blessing. You know, that's why some of us right now, we're longing for blessing of the Lord so much, but we're not finding it. Could it be because our worship has been hollowed out by our own sinful desires and pursuits? God's work done in God's way brings on God's blessing. See, it's important right now for us to search our hearts. Where, where is our heart of worship? Have I been taking God casually? Have I been presuming upon him? Have I truly been giving him the glory or have I been making it about me and my desires? Is my life of worship more about God, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that? Is it a wish list? Or is it a wonder list? Is it a wish list of God, you're my genie, I'm gonna rub you and now you just present to me my three wishes and grant me this so I can now live my life according to my desires and my satisfaction or is it a wonder list of God, you are so awesome and glorious and omnipotent and majestic and beautiful and holy and perfect and, and it's all I do, Lord, then I'm good. See, David started to be turned in the right direction now. 
He hears of the blessing and he wants the blessing. And do you know what happens now? And we start to see this right here. And it, look at verse 13. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Now, 1 Chronicles 15 starts to give great detail of what's happening here. As the Levites are now appointed, the poles are brought out, the cart is discarded, and now the ways of God are observed. 1 Chronicles 15 on the screen for you, look at this. David says this, because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. That's it, that's it. According to the word of the Lord. The blessing of God is found according to the word of the Lord. Oh, I wonder what sin exists in this room right now? What sin is in corners and closets? Listen, we cannot hide our sin from God. Life is to be lived according to the word of God by the grace of God. But according to the word of the Lord, it's amazing to me sometimes the people who blatantly go against God's word and expect to be blessed. So many young couples, we're gonna go live together, we're gonna have sex before marriage or we're gonna expect God to bless us. I'm just like, I don't know, what are you reading? What are you talking about? How can you possibly think that's gonna go well? Well, because we want it to be about what we want. God is clear. God is very clear. But notice this, notice in verse 12 that once the purity sets in in worship, notice the joy comes forth. So the purity of obedience and worship comes and then the joy, the rejoicing begins. And then look at verse 13 too. When they bore the ark six steps, he sacrificed an ox. So what's happening there is they get the ark, pulls Levites the right way, but they go one, two, three, four, five, six, then stop. And David's like, wait, Who's got a match? We've got to sacrifice an animal because we are so filled with God, with the fear of the Lord. We have to make sure we're doing it right. They sacrifice an animal. God is pleased. And now they know they are in the favor of God. What a difference from the first time eh, to the second time. Because this is a purity of worship. And then in verse 14, all of Israel joins in the praise and now the celebration of God's favor and goodness truly begins. Why? Because the worship that has been purified and now they are experiencing the blessing of God. Loved ones, you and I will experience the blessing of God the more and more our lives are filled with a worship of reverence and awe of a sacrifice to the Lord, which is holy and acceptable, all granted through the life of Jesus Christ. He gives us grace. So one of the things that's happening right even here right now, there's a it's a it's a heavy message in some ways, and there's a tension in the text to say, Well, I want to be obedient to the Lord, but listen, the grace that is offered to you in Christ the forgiveness that is offered to you in Christ, the love of God that is offered to you without conditions, right? But here's the thing about the gospel. He who has been forgiven much loves much. So the whole point is because God has given you everything, because he sent his son, because he overcame your sin and you're not going to, to hell and that the wrath of God is put on Christ, not you, because you are a child of God, because you are guaranteed glory, what do you do now? Do you take salvation and just sit back, put your feet up and coast on to glory? No. Do you take the grace and now spit in the face of God by sinning all the more? No, Paul says in Romans. 
You take the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and the love of God, and then you love God in return with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the response of the gospel, a purity in worship. And that's our opportunity today to understand the holiness of God and the fear of the Lord and to say our lives have been set apart for amazing things in him, but we have to respond to him in the way that he calls us to. The quickest way for purity in worship is repentance. So if you're like me this week, you are led to repent. Lord, I repent of my carelessness of my worship, my longing for convenience, my casual approach to the Lord, the compromise throughout my life, and you will receive grace. You will be forgiven. You will know the love of God, but it comes with a broken and contrite spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So this is where we are now. Foundational, fundamental text, isn't it? It's such an important message for this day in our church. There's the trend's going in the opposite direction, but God calls us back to himself because he loves us so much. You're listening to Live in the Light with Robbie Simons. If you'd like to hear this message again or the rest of the messages from this series, you can find these resources and more on our website at liveinthelight.ca. I'm Craig Turnbull, and on behalf of Robbie Simons, we invite you to join us again next time on Live in the Light.